I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue in this series, Your Kingdom Come, as we go through the book of Matthew. Uh, and then we've been going through uh, chapter 6. We finished chapter 5 as we're looking specifically at the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. So Matthew chapter 6. Now I want to, again, just mention, as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, something that we continue to say over and over and over again is that Jesus is checking your heart. As Jesus is, is preaching the Sermon on the Mount to the people that have gathered there on this hillside in Galilee, he is checking the heart. He is asking them about their motives. There is one simple question that this can be narrowed down to, and that is Jesus is asking why. Why? Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do when it comes to worshiping God? Is it just doing things because it's what you've always done? Or is there thought and meaning, and more importantly, is your heart in it? Do you do what you do because that's what was modeled to you by your parents or whoever it was that brought you to faith or how you grew up going to church? It's just that's what you do. Or do you actually seek after God, his kingdom, and his glory? And Jesus knows the thoughts and the hearts of the people that he is talking to just as he knows your heart and he knows my heart. And he's asking why? And for Jesus, it is a rhetorical question. He knows. He's saying you're going through the motions. You're going through all the things you're supposed to do. And a lot of his conversations as you read through the Gospels, a lot of them are he's asking why. Why don't you sell everything and give it to the poor? Why don't you do this? He's checking your heart. So join with me, and we're going to start reading in verse 5 through 18, but the text we'll mainly be looking at is verses 16 through 18 this evening. In chapter, or verse 5, Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven." Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. 
But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We've been talking and, and looking through this as, and we've kind of started calling it these spiritual disciplines that chapter six really introduces us to. We've talked about uh, what it is to pray and pray in private and spend that alone time communing with God, meditating, reading his word, talking to him, telling him what you're thinking, what you're going through. And although he knows it is how a relationship is built. And we talked two weeks ago about relationships that uh, if I talk to my wife as regularly as, uh, say, I pray as regularly as I, oh, boy, I'm really messing that up. Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> if we communicated with our wives, and I use the illustration of like, hey, I'll do the dishes, you do the laundry, we'll have a nice date night, because those rooms are so close to each other. And I'll tell you, like, oh, I had the greatest date night. For 15 minutes, I did dishes, she threw laundry in, and we kind of yelled back. It was hard to understand because of the dog and stuff, but, oh, so nice. You'd say, oh, you don't know what a date night is. And that's how we are with God is, is we can spend that time doing other things and saying, well, I mean, I prayed without ceasing, right? But what does it mean to actually spend time alone with God? Last week, we looked at the Lord's Prayer and, and broke it down and said the main point of the Lord's Prayer is hallowed be your name. Everything else is how we make his name hallowed among where we live, learn, work, and play, pointing people to him and his Glory, And today we're talking about fasting. And if you're like me, that word alone made you hungry. <laughs> fasting is a discipline that models how desperate we are to seek after God and his righteousness, demonstrating that we are willing to put away things that we need to survive in order to highly prioritize our relationship with God. And we're going to get into this in, in a minute, and I want to... Uh, what exactly that means as far as an application for our lives. How do we fast? And uh, as we read in this passage, Jesus is kind of explaining, and uh, there's a story as I was studying of, I don't know what country it's in, but uh, it's a place where they worship all these gods, and one of the gods is a god of mourning, and so there's this man who is a, a holy man who, uh, that's air quotes for those of you that listen to this recording on the podcast, he is a holy man, and what he does is he just mourns. He goes into the center square, a high tourist area, and he covers himself in ashes, and he lets everybody know that he's, he's mourning and that he's fasting and he's not eating anything because he's just calling out to this God. And tourists come up to him and say, can I get my picture with you? And he's like, yes. And he gets them situated, and he puts ashes on so he looks right for the picture, and he makes sure he looks all sad, and okay, now take the picture, and they take this picture. And that's what Jesus is saying we look like when we do things to be seen by others. It's that ridiculous when we are saying that this is about a personal relationship between me and God, and I'm going to tell everybody about it. And he's saying, okay, you have a reward in full. You did it to be seen by others. Well done. You did it. The call is for us to have, again, this personal communion, this personal fellowship with God our Father, our Father who is in heaven. That we have that relationship with him, and so this form of fasting is what we're going to be discussing tonight, uh, and in the handouts, and hopefully you got one. If you don't, they're over there in the bucket as well, but I actually want you to be able to take this home, and it's uh, from a book called Pleasures Forevermore by Sam Storm. I'm not going to go through the references. You have them in that handout to hold on to, but I want to look at the biblical uses for fasting quickly as we go through this. 
Uh, Number one, fasting was practiced to avert God's judgment and displeasure against his people. When God's people in the Old Testament, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, when they realized that they had disobeyed God, that they had followed after false gods, and then a prophet would come along and say, oh, you guys did it this time. And he would pronounce pronounce judgment on them. The people in response to demonstrate that they were saddened, that they had displeased God Almighty who had protected them and done so much for them as they would go to fasting and call out in repentance. Number two, the people of God often fasted in preparation for war with a view to seeking God's protection and blessing. Before they would enter war, you'd think you'd kind of want to fatten up and get ready. You need the energy. But throughout the Old Testament, again, as they would go into war, they would take that time to properly demonstrate the reliance upon God and call out for his guidance and his protection. And how much more so as we engage in the world every day, every week, as we engage in this form of spiritual warfare, should we be calling out and demonstrating that our reliance is upon God and that we want to rely on him as we engage in this spiritual warfare every day? Number three, fasting was one way of seeking God's help for deliverance from personal troubles and opposition. Number four, fasting was often an expression of sincere and heartfelt repentance from sin and humility before God. When people realized that they were in sin, one of the forms of repentance was to demonstrate how sorry they were as they called out for God's forgiveness which we are told we always have. Amen? And they would go before him as a form of repentance, turning away from that. Number five, fasting also signified or expressed mourning, sorrow, deep grief, and sadness. Something that, speaking as a white American male, I was raised, nobody actually said this, emotions are bad. You don't show weakness. You don't show sadness. Uh, Again, just by nature, I thought when you start to cry, you have to immediately apologize for that. Uh, And that's something that I'll say we don't do well, speaking primarily if you're here and you're a white American. It's something that we don't do well. We, We hide our emotions. But throughout the Bible, we see people calling out, wailing, being sorrowful, uh, It's something that we can learn immensely from other cultures and what it is to be in touch with our emotions. And I'm sorry if I've offended anybody. To know and to call out to God in desperate times of help and instead of acting like we have it all together, it's okay to say, I need God's help. To call out to our brothers and sisters in Christ and say, I'm really hurting and I could use some help right now. Number six, Ezra fasted as part of his request that God provide him with a safe journey. Uh, About a year and a half ago, we went through Ezra and Nehemiah, and we, we looked at that, and we talked about it briefly. Number seven, fasting is a way of expressing one's concern for the success of God's work. Again, we talked about that in Nehemiah as well. When they were getting to do a project, Nehemiah again, he says, hey, we're gonna do a lot of physical labor. You know what we should do? Not eat and just seek out God and seek out what God wants for us. Number eight, 
Fasting serves to humble and rebuke us as it reveals how much of our happiness depends on the external pleasures of eating. And number nine, fasting teaches us self-control and self-discipline. And you'll notice the references from there are primarily in the New Testament. It is the early church. And what they would do is they were uh, at this time of extreme persecution. Uh, they were going through calling out for God, but also to demonstrate uh, this this self-control and self-discipline, as we talk about these being Christian disciplines, things we should be implementing in our lives as we demonstrate how much we should be relying on God and God alone in our lives. Understand these were people who already had everything taken away from them in a lot of cases. That death was imminent for them simply because of their belief system, as so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world go through every day. And yet they chose to fast, to call out to God, not that he would feed them, but that they would properly represent him. And then it would be wrong to talk about fasting without going back to Will's message back in Matthew chapter four. So you were in Matthew chapter four, what, like five years ago? And talking about what it was that Jesus, why he was tempted, why he went to the wilderness, how he modeled that in so many ways. We see being able to um, have this connection with Jesus and what he went through, that he went through trials and temptations, that he recalled scripture to fight temptation, to keep his focus as he went through trials. The same author, Sam Storm, said in a message once, it's important to note that as Jesus was standing on the brink of the most important public ministry the world had ever seen, he chose to fast. Have you ever paused to reflect on the eternal consequences of what transpired in the wilderness of, in Judea in those 40 days? Heaven and hell hung in the balance. Had Jesus wavered, had he faltered, had he balked, all hope of heaven would have been dashed on the very rocks with which the enemy tempted him. Of the dozens of things Jesus might have done to withstand temptation, he is led by the Spirit to fast. So now for you and for me, let's look at what is the purpose of fasting? What is the purpose of fasting? Number one, I want to point out that scripturally speaking, fasting is never required but is expected. Point number one, fasting is never required, but is expected. Throughout scripture, uh, except for maybe a couple cases of the nation of Israel saying this is what we're going to do as repent as a nation, but specifically uh, in in New Testament times, uh, it is never required. Here, Jesus, as he's talking to them, he is speaking as though it is just expected that this is something that they do. And the early church, what's interesting, Jews were expected to fast on Mondays and Wednesdays. What the early church did is a way to separate themselves from the Jewish and so many of the uh, new churches, the the new body of believers that were meeting. uh, So many of them were coming out of a Jewish belief system. And so what they did is they said, well, we'll fast on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and that's when we'll pray. And so the early church, again, never mandated it, but it was just expected they fast on Tuesdays and Thursdays. More on Tuesdays and Thursdays in a minute. 
But what do we see happen with that early church that spent their time, as we talked about uh, the last two weeks? We see Acts chapter 2, where the church is taking off and people are coming to know Christ, and there is all this early persecution, but what is something that they were doing was fasting and praying. Number two, fasting is between you and God. Fasting is between you and and God. This passage, again, is very clearly talking about your heart. You don't fast for other people. This is between you and God, and it is to demonstrate you desiring and wanting to rely on him and to desire him more, that you are seeking after him. This isn't about other people. I do want to point out, um, and I apologize in advance, I've worked at three or four different Bible colleges, and if you want to see something done wrong, give information to 18-year-olds, and they will demonstrate the wrong thing to do. And I'm not picking on 18-year-olds. A comedian once said about children is, of course kids say the darndest things. They're new to the language, and they're very inexperienced at life. I kind of feel the same way about college students sometimes. No offense to any college students. But I would see people and they would play out and, and they'd come in and they would uh, come to a house where they were planning on watching a movie on Netflix. And somebody would say, okay, let's start the movie. And a person would be like, I cannot. I'm fasting from Netflix. Sinners. And my thought was always, why did you come here? You knew what was going to happen. And so, again, it's this public display. Now, uh, say you're going out to lunch, um, and uh, you're, you're getting ready to order, and the person says, by the way, uh, I just want you to know in advance, I'm not trying to make a big deal about it, but I am fasting today. And that's okay. He's obviously not doing it for public. You go get something to eat. But please know that's the reason I'm not eating. Um, that's okay. And sometimes uh, we can do the opposite. We could kind of say, uh, well, I'm so star hungry. Man, I'm starving. They go, what would you like? And you're like, nothing. And I've been in a situation like, no, no, don't worry. I'll, I'll cover it. I'll pay for it. No, 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 it's not that. Well, what is it? I can't say. Okay, this is getting really awkward really fast. So it's okay when we're, we're told to do it in, in secret. It's not that it's sin to let any one person know but it is supposed to not be done just to be seen of people. So again, this is fasting is between you and God. Number three, and I can't emphasize this strongly enough, we fast to pray. Fasting is to be done in concert with praying. Fasting is done in order to commune with God. To fast without praying would be to miss the entire point. A horrible illustration is to basically say it's like going to a car wash to get your car washed, but you just walk through it by yourself. Or to stand in your driveway spraying a hose at nothing and tell people you're washing your car. It's pointless. You're not actually doing it. So it is to fast without praying. At that point, you're just not eating or you're not doing whatever it is you're fasting from. Fasting is intended to pray. 
Uh, they would, and it's, when we went through the book of Acts several years ago, and I don't believe maybe five of you were there at the time, we went through what it looked like, and we must understand that to fast for them is different from us. And I'm not proud of this, but I can order food and be done with it in under 10 minutes at any given time. I'm a little proud of it. But to understand this culture that when they wanted protein, they usually had to catch it, then prepare it, then cook it. And a meal was a much longer time. And so when they would fast from preparing this meal, that time was spent in prayer. So we might fast from a meal to pray, and it's all of 10 minutes. We're talking half a day for what this looked like in some occasions. We fast to pray. And number four, fasting teaches us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Fasting teaches us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does it look like to take time, and we'll talk about it again in a minute, but take time to fast and spend that time in prayer, maybe part of that time should be spent just meditating, thinking through uh, the time you were the hungriest you've ever been, and have you ever chased after God and his righteousness in that way? The thirstiest that you've ever been, and to chase after God in that way. Fasting teaches us to hunger and thirst for righteousness because we start to rely on God as our sustenance. He is the bread of life. So hunger should draw us to knowing what it is to chase after and pursue with much more urgency our relationship with God. So here's what I want you to do now. Right where you are. We are going to take five minutes. And right where you are, I want you to turn Psalms 119, 129 to 136. And we've been talking about what it is to pray through the scriptures, to have that alone time with God. But during the next five minutes, and it's just going to be quiet, we're not going to have music, this is a time for you to worship with God. This is a time for you to talk to him. Maybe you're here this evening and you have never began a relationship with God. You have never made him the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. You have never called out to him in a personal way. Maybe it's something that's always been done in a religious format, but you yourself have never called out to God and sought forgiveness and and sought to make him the, the leader of your life. And I would encourage you over the next five minutes, maybe that is that time to do that. Maybe that is the time to call and say, God, what does this mean? Or maybe it's at five minutes where you're just being filled with questions. Please come and talk to us. Talk to me or Will or anyone over at the connection table afterwards. We want to have that conversation with you. But then as you pray through Psalm 119, 129 through 136, I believe it's also in the handout. It's okay if you use your, your phone as a flashlight or just look at it on your phone. But anytime in that next five minutes, at the end of which I will read through the passage, I want you to take time, as 1 Corinthians 11 tells us, as we go into a time of communion, to examine yourself. 
As you read through that passage, uh, and it talks about, uh, in the passage, it, it says, should have looked this up earlier. I open my mouth and pant longing for your commands. Ask yourself, is that part of your life is to pant after God's commands for your life, to seek him out for guidance? But in this time, I also want you to take time. If, if you know the Lord, if you know what it is to have Jesus as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, take time to thank him for that. The reason that we take communion is to remember his body being broken for us. It is a time to remember as we drink the cup that we, his, his blood was spilled for us to cover our sins. And so that when God looks at us, he sees his son's righteousness. We are literally covered in his righteousness. And so doing things a little different this evening, during this five-minute time, or maybe it's not then, maybe it's uh, afterwards during the closing of the songs tonight, but take communion and, and take time to Thank God. Maybe you take this home with you and, and you spend time this evening just worshiping God in a personal manner, communion, communing with him as you take communion at home later. Communion is done to demonstrate unity between the body of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as we take communion, there are other believers all around the world probably doing the same thing and, and we can reflect on what it is to know Christ and to have that unity. So again, and right now I just want you, right where you are, is to go to the Lord in prayer. And in five minutes, I'll read through this passage and then we'll finish the message. Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. Turn to me and have mercy on me, as you always do to those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Redeem me from human oppression that I may obey your precepts. Make your face shine on your servant and teach me your decrees. Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. So what does fasting look like for you? I'm not expecting answers, obviously, right now. What does fasting look like for you? What does fasting look like for your family? What does it look like to be done in your home? The first is something that we see throughout Scripture, because technically everybody in Scripture was fasting from cell phones. But throughout Scripture, it was fasting from food. So what does it mean to look at your schedule through the week and block out two lunch appointments, one lunch appointment, to be spent just an hour or half hour, however long you have for lunch, what does it look like to block out that time just to spend that meal alone fasting and praying? Uh, more extreme, what does it look like to fast from all food just to spend that same time that you would normally spend eating to spend that time in prayer? I want to go back to Tuesdays and Thursdays really quick and 
I want to be very clear, this is not a program. There is nothing extra holy about Tuesdays and Thursdays, and this is just a, a starting, if you will, a start. We want people to take ownership, and I'm convinced as we continue to go through this series on prayer, something that I need in my life is to spend more of that alone time with God. And, and as we seek to, how do we make an impact in our community? How do we see our communities know what it is to know the peace and the joy and the forgiveness and the love that comes from knowing Christ? How do we do that in our communities? And I am convinced it has to start in our own prayer lives. It has to start by coming together with other brothers and sisters in Christ and saying, how are we spending time calling out to God to use us, sinful human beings that he has redeemed for his glory to demonstrate his power, calling out to him to point people to him. And so I've been trying something out. Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, as I can the last couple of weeks, I've been just going to Hutchinson Square. It's right near our offices, right in downtown Somerville. And I've talked to a couple other pastors, uh, Clay Jernigan, who's preached here, Mike Seaver from Risen Hope Church, who's uh, preached here, Fellowship of Oakbrook, and Stan Cruz here. Um, and I, I'm trying to get the word out. What does it look like for us, if you're able to, over your lunch break, to meet in Hutchinson Square to pray for Somerville? It doesn't have to be there, it doesn't have to be those days, and it doesn't have to be that time. Sometimes I'll be there, sometimes I won't. Nobody's taking attendance. It is not a program. I can't emphasize that enough. But maybe there's no way you're not even close to there. What does it look like for you to find other believers from other churches and invite them, maybe a different day or time, to meet you somewhere? If you are home with the kids, what does it look like to ask people in your neighborhood, hey, let's meet in my driveway at this time because my son's down for a nap and I can do it then. To pray for our community. Maybe you just start by yourself somewhere. Say, these, this day, these days, I'm, start, I'm just going to pray starting here. Second thing that this can look like is fasting from technology. What does it look like to take time away from your phone to pray? And I've used this example before, and I apologize, uh, the person that fasts from Netflix, but then I hear them talking about the show they were watching. I was like, I thought you were fasting from Netflix. You managed to tell everybody that. They're like, oh, no, that was on Amazon Prime. I'm like, oh, okay. I think you missed the point. It's like fasting from Facebook, and you spend twice as much time on Twitter or Instagram, whatever it is. And again, I want to point out, whatever you're fasting from, if you're fasting from social media... You can now look at how much time you spent on social media last week, spend that much time in prayer when you fast from that. Whatever you are choosing to fast from, make sure you know the time that is involved and spend that same amount of time fasting and praying. Remember, they go hand in hand. Uh, replace the screen time with prayer. There's a great article written about that and I wanted to get the link out to you, and I failed miserably at doing that. So maybe on social media or something, unless you're fasting from social media, then we'll just have to text to you. We wanted, it's written by Kevin DeYoung talking about how his family actually took time to fast away from screens in the evening and pray together as a family and the re results of what that meant for their family. Uh, John Piper wrote, uh, well, he wrote several things. 
One thing that I didn't write down, but I love, and I saw this years and years ago, he said, Facebook and Twitter, that's when those were the only two, they exist so that Christians will know in glory how much time we could have spent in prayer. He also said, Christian fasting is a test to see what desires control us. Fasting reveals the measure of food's mastery over us, or television, or computers, or whatever we submit to again and again to conceal the weakness of our hunger for God. A real, lived-out human act of preference for God over his gifts is the actual lived-out glorification of God's excellence for which he created the world. Fasting is not the only way or the main way that we glorify God in preferring him above his gifts, but it is one way. What are the things that you run to? You had a bad day, so I need to go do this, watch this, look at this. How do you start your day? You start your day wondering how many likes or reposts you got, how many comments there were. That is what you find awe in. That is what you run to. That has become your idol. What does it look like for us to put God in his proper place and run to him in the morning and run to him when we go to bed at night and run to him during the day and to take others with us to demonstrate what it is to find our awe in God and God alone? So again, if you can, Tuesdays and Thursdays in Hutchinson Square, 11 to 1, at some point, I'll try to be there. Maybe not. There's no attendance. What does it look like to gather, not to converse with our friends, but to converse with God and pray for our community? Or if you live in North Charleston or Hanahan or wherever it is that you're from, what does it look like to gather with other believers and pray for your communities? I love the quote from Leonard Ravenhill. You've heard me say it a bunch of times. As long as we are content to live without revival, we will. As long as we are content to live without revival, we will. If we want to do more for God, it starts now. A couple years ago, Saquon Barkley, the running back for the New York Giants, so you know he's struggling, He said, if I want to be better next year, it starts the day after the last day of the season this year. Or else I'm going to do the, if I train the same, I'll be the same. The same is true for us. If we want to see a difference in our community, it has to start right away. We can't continue to do the same thing, giving God one hour a week, two hours a week when it falls, when our church services, and expect to make a difference in our communities. And I'm convinced that it starts with prayer. That it starts with demonstrating the things that we have learned to rely on and separating ourselves from them to spend time alone in prayer with our God, communing with him. It spends time, and as we pray for things, we have more love for them, we care more for them, we want to see God work in them. So what does it look like for you? What does it look like for your home, your apartment, your dorm? What does it look like for your class? What does it look like for you? to hunger and thirst for God. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ to seek after you, to be able to go to your word. As you tell us in James, a mirror that points out to us the things that need to change. And Lord, how foolish to walk away from it without making those changes. And so Lord, we... We pray that you would convict us, that you would work in our hearts and in our lives, that you would guide us as the psalmist writes, that we would seek after you, that you would light the way for us.
Lord, I pray, as Paul did in 1 Thessalonians, that we would not quench the spirit, that we would learn to listen and to follow the direction that you give us through your word, through our personal time with you, through your Holy Spirit working in us. That we would follow after you for your glory. Lord, I pray for anyone here this evening that has never called out to you, that has never began that relationship with you, that you would be working in their hearts right now. Lord, I know it is not easy to ask somebody, especially at a church service, to say, how do I know God? But Lord, I pray for those that are here this evening wondering that, that you would guide them to come and ask the questions, that this is the exact reason why we do what we do is to point people to Jesus. Lord, I pray that we leave here changed people, changed for your glory, to honor and glorify you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.